all full of authentic points of view. Myself alone have at least 22. They come from the things that we have been through. Those things can either make or break you. Life is full of ups and downs. It's our choice to either smile or frown. Please choose to smile today. Because it's one thing that's free to give away. People say that life isn't hard. It's what you make of it. But what if only struggle surrounds you? What can you take from it? Life can be hard and some things aren't fair. Please listen to others just to be aware. All I'm saying, you never know what someone's going through. Just because they look happy doesn't make it true. Hopefully this podcast will help you see. You are not alone. You have at least got me. We are more alike than you may know. But if we stay quiet, we will never grow. Don't ever give up because you got this. If you quit, think of all the opportunities that you could miss. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Authentic Points of View. I'm Danielle Boer. Thank you for listening. I'm so excited to have uh, another week and another guest on. I love it. Uh, Thank you so much for everybody that's listened so far. You guys are so awesome, and I love y'all. Couldn't do this without you. So, um, I love this job because I get to meet amazing people. And some people um, I meet in so many different ways. Like, so far, I've known everybody kind of that I um, have interviewed, like physically have met them. Uh, But today, I am going to talk to somebody that I have never physically met, um, which is so cool. I'm excited. Um, So, hey, everybody, you know how I tell you, message me or email me, uh, I really mean it. I'm not just fibbing. Uh, (laughs) So, um, this guest today messaged me, um, and I'm really honored because uh, you'll find out that he has a podcast that's doing very, very well. So, I'm very honored that he even reached out to me at all. Uh, But he did, and uh, now we're going to have him on. So, if you want to be a guest, seriously, guys, all you got to do is message me and if you have something awesome to say, then let's do it. We'll talk. All right. So today we have Sergey Brown. Um, he's been a chef, a restaurant owner, real estate agent, professional bodyguard, and now he's an awesome podcast host. Um, he's driven back and forth across America several times and learned something new with every mile. Welcome to the show, Sergey Brown. Well, it is wonderful to be here. You know, it was so interesting when when I first reached out to you on Facebook. It was that energy, and I, I had uh, I had listened to one of your podcasts with a friend of yours that you work with, and it just struck me that this would be because this is my very first guest spot on any show. Uh, I'm like a a guest virgin, right? And so (laughs) he really opened up that door for me. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I didn't know that. So I'm excited about that. Um, actually, and just to let you know, everybody, as you hear, he has an amazing voice, like so cool. (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, like such a radio voice. Um, I love it. So Thank you so much, Sergey, for um, for <laughs> I was gonna say something that was like a comedy thing. I'm not gonna do it. But thank you for letting me be the first person to there interview you. 
<laughs> PG version. Okay. So, uh, all right. Now, we talked a little bit, and you've um, let me know that, um, which is what I love about this show, actually, is that I like to talk about things that people have gone through, maybe mm -hmm. some struggles, and then, like, how you're doing now. So, um, and I like to build it up that way. So, um, you said that you grew up poor. Um, and, Very poor. Um, yeah. So, how did that help you mold into the person you're today? What are some great lessons you learned from that? When I was young, we had literally nothing. My father was not around. Uh, he would show up and uh, we would see him once or twice a year. What we did to survive was, uh, there were five of us kids, we're each one year apart. And from a very young age, at, at I think five years old was my first job collecting the mail for Mr. Latham up the street. And he'd pay me 10 cents a week to wow. get his mail. He was an amazing artist, but he was in a wheelchair. And so it was difficult. And that, my mother was a, a workhorse. We planted our own gardens, canned that. We would go, when I was young, we lived in a place called Gold Bar, Washington for much of my early childhood. And not only did we start tearing stumps out of people's yards as a family business, five kids, just the five of us kids. And when I say kids, I was eight. My brother was nine. My sister was 10. My older brother was 11. And sometimes my little sister would come, sometimes they wouldn't. And we would take axes, shovels, and pitchforks and dig these stumps out of people's yards. And then we started mowing lawns and we would save up our money. And we worked hard to the point that my brother, Kalon, who's a year older than I, we ended up getting a job at the local mill and they made shakes. And we would, uh, we first started tossing 150 to 200 pound cedar bolts. And a cedar bolt is where they cut the cedar tree. And it's just essentially like a stump. It's just cut in a, uh, you know, it's about, two feet high, mm -hmm. and uh, we would throw those off the trucks at 11 and 12 years old. And then we got promoted to handyman. In that time, we would take our money every week, or every two weeks when we would get paid. We got paid 18 cents a bundle, a bundle of shakes that were made. It, it, that money, all of it except a dollar or so, would go into the family. And then every two weeks, my older brother and I would get to go up to the store with the money that we, we worked, which is funny. We would work so hard, an entire, an adult man's shift. At the end of the two weeks, we would get a half gallon of ice cream and a bottle of pop that we would share. That's what we worked hard for. But we real, really realized that what we were working for was the seeds that we would plant, were the canning jars that we would use to can. We were working for not ourselves, but we worked for that family unit. And it really steeled us to the fact that we were some of the poorest family in town, but we lived clean. Our gardens, my mother, was, I mean, she has a, an amazing green thumb. She learned from a man up the street. Now, she grew up on a farm and all that. But Gus Cool was in his 90s, and he took us under his wing. The reason I say all of that is because when you allow those experiences to influence you, 
in a positive manner, then you become positive in your outlook on life. If you take that same exact experience and allow it to influence you in a negative manner, then you become negative throughout your life. And you become that victim that, that all of a sudden doesn't lift their head up in bad times, doesn't look for opportunity. That is the crux of how I grew up. And I went through good times and bad times. I, I mean, I, I bucked hay, but I also have lived on the street. And I'll tell you this, living on the street, you know, at 19 years old is a brutal existence. There was one time when I think I was 19 years old. Uh, it was February. Uh, I, guess it, I, I guess it was just before Christmas because I, re I remember I was downtown Seattle and pardon me, uh, Nordstrom's and the Bond at the time, that's now Macy's, all had their Christmas decorations up. Uh, I was absolutely starving, and uh, I had come down with strep throat. And at one point, I had become so delirious that I just couldn't stay awake. And so I was down on 2nd Avenue, and I had uh, pulled myself behind a dumpster and I pulled the dumpster in and just passed out. Well, I came to, to, uh, um, being drug out from behind the dumpster by a couple of men. And, uh, I, 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 it was, I was so delirious and my fever was so high that I really didn't realize what was going on. Uh, they were trying to steal my shoes. They they got one one shoe off, and then they I had a a um, jacket on, and uh, they had uh, pulled my leather jacket off, and uh, I was holding on to it. And one of the guys unzipped his pants and started peeing on me, and the other guy was kicking me in the face, oh and then trying to get my hand loose from the from the jacket. I ended up losing the jacket. Uh, February or you know November, late November, early December in uh, Washington State is quite cold, okay. and uh, um, they essentially just beat me and left me there in that puddle to uh, to die. And at that moment, I knew that I wasn't going to let myself die, so I had pulled myself together. I pulled the dumpster back. And uh, I had just passed out again for I don't know how long, but it was getting later in the day. And I knew that if I did not find, you know, a new, oh, actually, I had, I had lost a sock with, you know, along with the shoe. And I knew that if I did not find uh, another shoe and a coat that I would not survive that night. And so I had gone down and I had a... Uh, a knife that I kept with me, uh, a Marine Corps survival knife. And I had gone into the, the, uh, uh, Navy supply store. Right. And the owner there had kind of approached me because I had no shoe, no coat, and, uh, obviously a bit disheveled. And I said, I don't have any money, but I have this knife and I need uh, you know, uh, uh, just uh, uh, one shoe, a sock, if you can afford it, and 
and uh, some kind of coat because I don't think I'm going to survive the night. All I have to trade is this knife. <clears throat> the kindness that man showed. He said, keep your knife. You're going to need that. And he grabbed a pea coat that is uh, a navy coat. Mm -hmm. And he grabbed a, a pair of boots and a pair of socks. And he grabbed a fresh shirt for me. And he said, uh, you know, this is, this is what I can do. And I thanked him. And it, it really sent that message that even though at that point I was physically very alone, that I wasn't alone, that there were good people and all I had to do in the worst time of my life really is to reach out at some point. I didn't want a handout. What I wanted was to, to find a way that I could claw my way back up before, before I died on the street. I stayed away from staying in one place. I, I would drift because I had seen how staying in one place, people became drug addicts, alcoholics, and there were a lot of certifiably crazy people on, you know, on the street. They, I mean, they're thrown out of these mental hospitals. There's no care for the homeless and the insanity that goes along with it. And, you know, this was back in the early 80s. The, I think the thing that I took away most from that, and I learned a lot by surviving because you become a hunter-gatherer. I spent almost nine months barely talking to anyone. I never begged for money. I did, yes, I did steal food. I have tried over my years to go back and make up for some of that. But every place I ever went, when I said, hey, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, uh, you know, I took some bread. I, I stole a can of, uh, a jar of pickles uh, because I was starving, right? Every one of them said, don't worry about it. I mean, that's, you know, we appreciate you coming in. And it, again, it shows you that all you have to do is, is reach out, lift your head up and look for opportunity. I ended up, all I wanted was one place to sleep. I know if I could get a safe place to sleep, I could then get a job, mm -hmm. someplace to shower and all that. I ended up getting a, just a, a small place, a, a place to shower and shave, and I got a job. And from there, I stepped up and kept looking up. Now, life has cycles, and, and you go through. But the other thing that I did was learn. I, I read. I would stand in the bookstore and read as much of a book as I could, put that book back, come back a day later or two days later or next week and keep reading that book so I could get that knowledge. And then I would take and I would use not all of that knowledge. I would focus on one thing. I would always read for what's one thing I can use today to make my life better. 
and then use that one item and become the best at using that one piece of information or technique or develop something like that. Because I, I really realized that one of the ways that I would get sidetracked is when I really put that pressure on me to do too much, to do too many things, to take too much on my plate, and then it would just lock me up. But one thing, I knew I could do one thing, and I knew I had to pick the right thing as well. If I picked something that worked for somebody else, but I didn't see how that 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 would unlock that door that I needed to go through. If I picked the wrong key to unlock that door, I would never go through it. So I needed to find my key. I needed to find my door and I really needed to find my path. And that was the steps that I took in order to get myself out of being homeless. Uh, and, and the brutality that goes with that and into something more positive. Now, I was fortunate to, even when I was on the street, I woke up in a good mood every day. When I was poor, when I was young, I woke up in a good mood every day because I looked at life as those challenges are the excitement of life. I could, yes, sit and mope about it, or as an adult, watch TV all day and do nothing. But there's no joy in that. I've never read a book or seen a movie about someone who has sat all day and watched TV. And that was their life. I have seen movies about trials and tribulations. That the, uh, the human spirit of overcoming something, that is what the excitement and that joy of life is all about. It worries me that we're in a time these days that that we spend too much time on our phones in front of our computers playing games or social media and we have left out that human component and we don't challenge ourselves like we like we used to right. so i try to wake up in the morning and now even today and say what pardon me what is the number one challenge that i want to take on today when I was in sales and I, I, one of my first sales jobs was when I was 17 and I was selling Barbizon memberships at Barbizon in downtown Portland and Sam Sador owned the Barbizon franchise and his GM was Stephanie Benzel and Tom Hopkins was a very good salesman, sales trainer. And I remember reading his book. And he would always say, champions do this and champions do that. The one thing I learned from that entire book was that champions wake up in the morning and do the thing they fear most first. Everything else, and I mean everything else, is easy after that. And I have lived by that. I wake up in the morning. And I say, you know, I try to write an agenda or a things to do list down every night. And then I, at the top of that list, I have the thing I fear the most. What is going to be the toughest thing to accomplish today? And I go after that. If I do nothing for the rest of the day, who cares? I took out the big bad boy. And then everything else just calls, kind of falls in line. And oftentimes, that's a building block to your life. 
right? You start looking at challenges, not as a victim, but as I am a warrior, I can go out and I can do that. And sometimes it takes me a lot of work and thought to accomplish that task. But it's when I think, oh my goodness, I can do this. That's, that's the excitement. And I always, I always break it down into parts. I say, what are my options, first of all? Well, I can, I can do this. I can do that. I, I, and then where do I research? Where do I get the information? And when I research, I look at the person writing the information and say, what are they trying to get out of it? And that, if that aligns with what I want to get out of it, then all of a sudden, bang, we're coming together on a, a thought process and I know I can use that approach. And so I take those options. I figure out now what's my plan of attack and then just go af at that. And I eat that elephant one bite at a time. Again, that problem, all that problem is, is a million different issues that have been compacted into one solid immovable object. And it's my job to move that. And so I can either push against that entire object or I can chip away just like Michelangelo, right? Carving David out of the marble. I'm going to chip away at that object and I can find my beauty in that. I can find my path. I can find my, you know, my enjoyment in taking on that, that immovable object and learning how to win. And sometimes I don't just, you know, try to obliterate it or push it to a side. Sometimes I weave my way through to it, through it and take the powerful parts of that, <clears throat> pardon me, the powerful parts of that and absorb that into my, my life or my journey through that issue. And it really empowers me to then keep my head up and look around. If I look down, if I play the victim, if I'm unhappy, it's my fault because all I have to do, and this is how I look at it, all I have to do is raise my chin, all my emotional chin, my physical chin. All I have to do is look for the best, not only in me, but in the best, in the people around me. If when I choose great people just to sit in their presence, it fills me with that same power and energy. And then if I get to add to that, suddenly I'm building my own hurricane of positive energy. And then we can move forward. People will help you without them ever even knowing they've helped you because their, their positivity, their energy, their approach to life literally is the wind at your back. All you have to do is raise your sail and off you go. I know that I'm you know, it's okay. No, listen, you said so many great things. So, um, I'm just taking it all in. So, uh, first of all, I talk about energy all the time. Um, I agree with you a hundred percent and energy is very important. And that's why I talk about a smile a lot. I talk right. about ever since, I mean, I was a restaurant manager, which we'll talk about that later. Um, which I never told you that, but um, oh, yeah. uh, we'll talk about it. Cause I love pointing out the things I have in common with people. But, um, so when I was a restaurant manager, I used to write these quotes and stuff on the board 
and one of them so several times had to do with smiling and so um even in my intro i talk about um that a smile is one thing that's free to give away because it is it doesn't hurt you to smile it actually helps you uh it takes less muscles to smile yep. than to frown and you can brighten up somebody's day and not even know it right because you're being positive towards them daniel can i take that one step further sure please go ahead <laughs> smiling is an amazing thing what i try to do is i try to bring stuff into into my day that makes me smile and the difference is if i force a smile then i then i am am using energy to create that smile which does release endorphins it is a very positive thing however if i think about my daughter if i think about my my not my biological family but my you know, the shroud family that the, my first ex-wife and her family are my family they make me smile if i think about the things that i get to go out and do and i was in the restaurant business right mm -hmm. in all aspects i can look at that customer and think oh my goodness <clears throat> pardon me i have to go serve that customer or i can go to uh, go look at it like oh my goodness i get to go serve that customer i get right. to be part of their day and a good part at that and that makes me smile by doing that what it does is it creates that flow of energy that extends past that i'm just going to smile mm -hmm. but if you create a reason to smile what it does is it steps you up into that pro smiler. Now you really, you that smile is going to beam and it's going to fill your soul with that energy. So rather than exuding energy to smile, you have created sunshine inside of you that now has no, no other way to get out except beam through that smile. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I don't want to skip over the fact that you talked about, um, so, so many things I don't want to skip over, but I don't want to, uh, skip over the fact that you were homeless. Um, because, um, another thing we have in common, different situation was, um, I ended up homeless when I was pregnant with my second son and I already mm. had my first son. So I lived in a homeless shelter. I wasn't right. on the street. Thank goodness. Um, they had this place for women um, called Sarah's House in Maryland. My dad was oh, wow. a military person. So by Fort Meade, literally across from Fort Meade. Um, shout out to Sarah's House. Thank you, guys. Uh, they do a lot of beautiful things um, for families and for women. Uh, and in the winter, during certain temperatures, men are allowed to go there as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I ended up getting an apartment there. Um, and um, I wish I would have thought like you because I... Uh, I talk about this in my first episode, but I didn't, I didn't respect it as much as I should have. I should, I didn't appreciate it as much as I should have. Now I do tenfold, a thousand mm -hmm. times. Um, but I met a lot of amazing people and, um, and I talk about them. Uh, one had to go to the methadone clinic every day. Uh, one was really a trick and had a pimp. Um, mm -hmm. and they raised her kids with all of them. And like, he had like 30 kids or something and they wow. all raised them together. Um, one, her boyfriend killed her daughter. I mean, <gasps> it's, uh, yeah. And oh. I cry about that and the, it's sad, but so 
so the thing is like um everything happens for a reason right and so i'm sorry that you went through that but the fact that you still felt like i can die but i'm gonna think positive is so amazing to me and shows how strong that you are um i'm so thankful that you shared that because um i live in the atlanta area and we'll talk about where you are right um in Mm -hmm. a little bit but i live in the atlanta area uh homelessness is very very prevalent i'm cooked in atlanta i mean i i i have seen it 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 is uh, so unfortunate yeah so such an amazing city it's beautiful here and um and they have like where they started trying to take their tents away from them. It's just sad. Mm-hmm. And I also want you to know um, that not only do I have that in common with you, uh, but I used to help. I still do. Um, I go and help homeless people. I've gone to thanks, uh, at Thanksgiving. I bring them plates that I've cooked. Unfortunately, it's never oh. enough because there's so many yeah. people. Um, exactly. But um, I've given out pillows before, blankets, all kinds of stuff. And I try to show my kids um, to be... Uh, loving and kind um, and I want to thank you for um, you know and you seem like a very tough man but men and lots of people have this uh, perception that men don't talk about their feelings it's not mm-hmm. okay like that means that you're no and it doesn't mean that it means that you're strong enough to express yourself and know that you're worth it too everybody should be able to express their feelings um, and so the fact that you said that about asking for help is something I love as well because I talk about that exactly. all the time. You don't know how much impact you have by just helping a little teeny bit, right? So, right. like, you know, one time we were, um, and it's not all about me, but I'm just saying, like, so one time we, um, and this is when I lived in Ohio, but we were in Wheeling, West Virginia, and this guy was on the corner, and the only thing I could give, I didn't have no food, I didn't have any money, I didn't have nothing, but we had gloves. And I said, mm-hmm. would you like these gloves? And it was winter time, And the exactly. face lit up, like, so excited. And that means a lot to me, because even though it's small, something so mm-hmm. small could mean the world to somebody else. Right. So, um, I got goosebumps (laughs) and I cried. So everybody, you know, I cry every episode. There you go. I did cry (laughs) just to let you know I did. Um, but it's touching and I'm so thankful and we're going to talk about all the great things that you've done, but I'm so grateful that you were strong enough mentally to get through that because that's, you know, I'm not sorry that I went through it. <clears throat> right it, because it is part of who i am today yeah it, it is the fiber that weaves through that tapestry that is my life had i not grown up poor and tough and and believe me i mean i know what going without is had i not experienced that young i don't think i would have survived at least as, as well as I did and not become, uh, you know, a drug addict, a raving alcoholic or crazy myself. Now right. there's some people that say that I could be crazy. But... <laughs> Me too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I, I, after I got off the street, I found it very interesting that it took me almost a year to get used to not 
constantly moving. Mm -hmm. That hunter-gatherer mind really sets in. And it, and it was almost uncomfortable to stay in one place. That uh, combined with, I have a gypsy soul, as I, you know, as I learned, uh, well, and I knew, but as, you know, as I got into my 50s, uh, and it took my second, my second ex-wife, that divorce, uh, I put so much into that, that, that it not working out, mm -hmm. it was very difficult for me. And so I decided, uh, I was selling real estate at the time mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I, I was going to leave my real estate job and I had actually taken a job at a small oil company as the executive VP in charge of sales and marketing just outside of Dallas, Texas in a town called Addison, which is kind of like, if you know, the Seattle area, it would be Bellevue to Seattle. So my daughter told me, dad, don't stay at hotels when you drive because I was going to drive down. She said, stay at hostels. Mom and I stayed at a hostel in Portland and it was amazing. So I said, okay. So I looked up a bunch of hostels and I started, uh, I figured I'd take two weeks and just see the country because I always wanted to just drive across America. Mm -hmm. Everybody should. I'm telling you, everybody should. It is truly one of the most remarkable journeys you will have. Take your time and do it. So I went hosteling and I stayed in some crazy hostels. Uh, one man standing outside in, you know, in the Salt Lake City hostel, standing outside the, the doorways in the hall, uh, buck naked. Nobody doing anything about it. Just, uh, just oh get in there, and then he would he would wander around. It was essentially a a crazy person's homeless encampment. And <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I I'm not a small fellow, so I was you know weighing in about probably two sixty, two seventy at the time. And uh, they put me on this top bunk in this bed that literally did not even fit me. It was a, like a five foot, I'm, I'm a little, right around six foot one. Uh, the, the bed was probably less than five foot 10. And it creaked and shook so much when I was crawling <laughs> up to the top bunk that I honestly got, and the guy below me actually put his foot on the side of the bed, the side of the bunk bed that was by the wall and pushed the bed back towards the wall because we both thought it was gonna collapse. <laughs> it, uh, but the journey anybody would have no story to tell if it was just this wonderful hostel and you went in and slept a night and two nights and and all that i actually met some people that i had would meet at other hostels through that journey once i got to addison texas i said you know what I'm not ready to stop. And I had the, I had been a, you know, I had been in the restaurant business for many years mm -hmm. before that, but I, you know, I had really kind of uh, started, you know, guest chefing and that sort of stuff. And my, my experience in the restaurant business was all front of house, owning, managing, bartending, uh, waiting tables, host. Uh, but uh, when you own a restaurant, you, you know, do everything from clean the, the toilets to, 
uh, you know, doing the dishes. <clears throat> but I wanted to be a chef and I wanted to be a high end chef. I didn't want to be, you know, a line dog and there's nothing wrong with that. But I wanted to learn, learn, you know, technique and flavor. And I knew that at that point, I was 52 years old when that, when this was happening. So I knew that I needed to start reaching out. And so by the time I got to Dallas, Addison, Texas, I told Chris, I said, uh, you know what? I'm not ready to stop. And he said, you know, there's no money in being a chef. And I said, I know that. I'm not doing it for the money. I had taken my uh, the few chef knives and a chef bag that I had with me on this trip. And I headed out to parts unknown. I had no idea where I was going. I got on my Facebook and I had, I had followed a couple of chefs that I liked their work. And I just said, hey, do you have a bed I can sleep on? Do you have a, a, a uh you know, parking lot. I can I can park in and sleep in my car. Is there a, a family reunion? Are you cooking in the backyard? Is there anything I can do to come in and learn from you? And to my surprise, I got answer after answer, and ended up that first trip really set the next seven years of my life in I mean in stone. I started. Uh, I ended up actually, I mean, I mean, to make a long story even longer, I ended up working at uh, a couple of years later at the world famous Commander's Palace in New Orleans. That is where wow. you know, Chef uh, uh, Emeril wow. started. Uh, and Paul Perdome, of course, you know, the, the king of Cajun and Creole cooking. It, it is an institution. 15,000 square foot main house, 12,000 square foot gardens, uh, almost a billion dollars in wine. Uh, it is one of the top 10 restaurants on the planet. And I, and although I essentially staged there, it taught me so much about how to cook properly. And then I took that information. And of course, I traveled with probably 20 cookbooks. And I would always pick up cookbooks uh, here and there. It got to the point that I had to upgrade my little car to a, a van just to have enough room. And then I put a bed in the van and then that way I could travel wherever I wanted. And I started working at resorts, at, at high-end uh, guest ranches, which became kind of my forte. I really loved that rustic, uh, uh, you know, rustic plating, rustic food, but I focused on flavor and I found... Southwestern cooking, which, in my opinion, French cooking, phenomenal, lots of amazing technique. But Southwestern cooking incorporates American, French, Cajun, Creole, East Indian, uh, Spanish, Mexican, all of those flavors have come together in one component, one, one wonderful approach to food. And it's why I think that Southwestern food is one of the top two or three flavor profiles on the planet. When, when I would take that approach then and go to, say, Cody, Wyoming, and cook at a ranch, I would take my own flavor profile and my own techniques that I had learned and then create 
food, cooking on the fire, cooking in the fire, cooking under the fire, cooking around the fire, and let fire, food, flavor, spice, and all that become part of my signature. And it, it, uh, it, to this day, even though I am uh, have kind of left the professional cooking uh, the cooking career for a little while. Uh, I absolutely am an out and out addict for it. It just, there's something about it. It's the perfect combination of art and science combined into something that you get to work hard. And at the end of that work, you present an amazing plate that people absolutely love. That's so cool. So did you own a restaurant before you became a chef or how did yes, the... I, okay. uh, I was a partner in two restaurants and then I had consulted on about a dozen other restaurants over the years. But the, those two restaurants, I was a partner with my, my first wife and her family and you will not find a better family in the restaurant business. They're no. just absolutely phenomenal. But I worked, you know, front of the house and, you know, waiting tables, bartending, host, uh, uh, putting, you know, putting all of that aside and working back to the kitchen. And I had, when I was in Florida, when I was 21, 22 years old, I was at a restaurant that was an Italian, you know, Tony Rosati, raised in, you know, born, born in Italy, raised in New Jersey, third generation pizza maker, restaurant tours from way back when. He had moved to Florida and opened Tony Boys. And uh, one day, the, the, one of the uh, cooks had uh, come in high and he was making stuff in the deep fryer without the baskets, right? They would just kind of spoon it out. And he uh, dropped his spoon into the deep fryer. And then he reached in after it and pulled up. One of our waitresses screams. I turn around and the skin on his arm came off like it was Ew. crayon, just melted crayons. It was crazy. And so Tony grabbed me off the floor and said, you're going to learn to cook. And I said, Tony, I'm not a cook. And he said, Yarnell. And uh, he took a cook job. So, yes, I owned a couple of restaurants, but I had cooked you know, before that. And I had, you know, I had waited tables and, and all that for many years. I understood how to manage a restaurant, how to run a restaurant. But cooking and cooking on a, a fine dining level is an entirely different beast than say a Cisco kitchen where you buy already stuff that's already pre-made right. and it's just a, a heat and serve kitchen, which there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of good food out there that that's being made, but to create a sauce from the very beginning to take a, uh, a wild piece of animal and create sausage or, or uh, sous vide it to a point or can it, and hold that to aid something to create your own vinegars to create your own your own spices and rubs with my with my barbecue i import an african sweet spice as the base to my rub and then build from that and that is that's the art that goes into the science of cooking 
And it's something I cannot tell you how much I love. Absolutely love it. That's so cool. So um, I, um, I, I love how things tie together. So that's really neat. I also um, started off in a restaurant from the age of um, 15. And I was mm. a hostess. And then I went to be a waitress. And then I was a... Um, a trainer and then I became a manager um, but I managed at three different restaurants and they all were the basic premise of breakfast lunch and dinner so basically mm -hmm. like diners and stuff right and but uh you know and I always wanted to do more but I can tell you what I don't like just because <laughs> you know I am a comedian <laughs> so what I don't like everybody uh is that sometimes you get taken advantage of in life and if you're a salary uh they oh, used to yeah. send home the the literally the prep people and make me do the prep as a manager i hated it i'm like this is not my job but they they wanted to save labor so they would send them home and that restaurant was again it's breakfast lunch and dinner they're based out of um pittsburgh and some mm -hmm. of them are open 24 hours but we used to bread our own stuff Oh right. Uh, uh, bread flour, um, flounder, bread, mm -hmm. the zucchini, yeah. slice the zucchini, slice the meat, do everything. I mean, they, so it's like, it was above the level of the other ones that are, we get a box <laughs> shipment from Cisco or wherever, you know, wherever you're getting your food from. Right. And then you um, check it all in and you put it away, you know, mm -hmm. the, and, and it comes and then you just like, bam, there's the bacon and there's the this. But this was more um intense uh <laughs> more right. more prep was needed into it and let's just say uh i don't like it y'all i would never take a prep job <laughs> because it's not fun but anyway so the, i respect um people in the um in the industry um and it's hard it's so hard um you don't but, realize how hard it is i mean oh no crazy hard. To 15 hour days Six, seven days a week, there have been jobs that I have worked four months in a row, 12 to 15 hours a day, no, no day off. And it's, yeah. I mean, that's just the way it is. And I actually was going to say that, but I always make stuff about me too much. <laughs> Love y'all <laughs> listeners. Um, I think people that like, like that though, because like I said, I like to say, um, show how I relate to people, you know, and right. I've never met you in person. So this is cool that we have yeah. a lot in common, but that's what happened to me. So I was a single mother and um, I literally was working 80 hours plus a week. And mm -hmm. the one place um, was 24 hours. And my shift as a manager was 3.30 to like 11.30 at night. Oh, and great. the night staff would never show up. Oh. So how it worked was on the weekdays when there was not enough customers, There, I don't know why they stayed open 24 hours, but mm -hmm. when there wasn't enough customers, there was a manager and a cook and that's it yeah that's it the manager um i've been to waffle houses that are like that at yeah. 2 in the morning oh no wait i lied the manager was the cook so the manager was the there cook and then there was a waitress so oh. what what happened was the waitress wouldn't show up so mm -hmm. i had to stay well the one manager wanted to be the waitress so she can make tips i'm like dude i've been here the whole day i don't want to cook so and i was a server for like 12 13 years at that point like i know what i'm doing right, right? Exactly. and so was she but the point is um i would have to stay so i would work 3 30 p.m 
till 7.30 in the morning. As a single mom, my kids were at the babysitter continuously. They would right. spend the night. I would drive an hour, go pick them up, take them mm-hmm. to school late, get yelled at, yeah. and then go to sleep. And then they would get off the bus, go to the babysitters, because I was at work again. And that's what happened. And so one time my son got sick. And um, I didn't know that the babysitter was calling me because I'm not allowed to have my phone. Right. So um, he had like 103 fever and I'm Ooh. an hour away. And she claimed that I was ignoring my son and neglecting him, which hurt my feelings, but I didn't see it. So I had to leave. And I got in trouble because I didn't finish the amount of cookies I was supposed to finish. I was like, really? You want my son to die for cookies? No. Yeah, exactly. So so the point is, like, um, (laughs) that's the last place I managed that because I realized... And I'm not bashing anyone because I know people that are still restaurant managers. My uncle owned Mm -hmm. a restaurant for a very long time. I'm saying the industry is hard. I understand that and I empathize uh, because I'm a nurse. That's also Mm -hmm. hard. Yeah, exactly. But but customer service regardless is hard. But um, it takes a special person to literally, I mean, you're like at the restaurant. It was like I was a doctor. Like you're paging me to come in. I'm like, I'm not even supposed to be there right now. You know, it's (laughs) like you got mandated to stay. I'm like, what? You know, and so. um, Restaurant business. Your worst employees are treated, or your best employees, rather, are treated the worst because they do so much more than anybody else. And so you have a tendency to overwork them. And there's a reason why chefs have such a high divorce rate. Many chefs have no no, uh, boyfriends or girlfriends. Uh, They miss anniversaries, Christmas. Thanksgiving, uh, holidays, they miss weddings and, and, you know, outings. They don't take vacations because it is, it is harder work than most people think. And I have always said that I think it would benefit the industry greatly if you had had to get a card that said, yes, I have worked in a restaurant for two weeks before I'm ever allowed to go in and eat. Yeah. That will give you a little appreciation as to what each and every one. I mean, even, you know, even as a hostess, right. Those hostesses take the, a lot of, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, of fire from people, waitresses, owners. Oh my goodness. I mean, there's, and there's, uh, I have, you know, a love hate relationship with owners because there are uh, nine tenths of the owners have gotten into it thinking, Oh, this will be a nice way to retire. And then they realize I'm not suited for this job, but they stick in it. They hate it. They treat everybody poorly and they don't know how to run their business. Not nine tenths, but a large part of it. Then you have some amazing, truly amazing owners, mm-hmm. but they also take, uh, you know, they take the call at 6 a.m. when the server didn't show up, the right. hostess didn't show up, the cook didn't show up, the dishwasher, and who's going to wash the dishes? Well, the owner's sitting, standing back there washing the dishes, then running out and hosting, and then pulling a, a double or a triple shift just to keep their doors open because you're looking at 2 to 12% on average profit margin for a restaurant, you can be up into the 18, maybe 20s with a real profitable bar. But it, I mean, it's it's a lot of work. I mean, it is is a lot of work. And this supply chain issue that we're going through today and the shutdowns have really drug a wrecking ball through an industry I truly, truly love. 
Yeah, my my son is a um uh I don't know if we can call him. A, I don't want to say he's not a chef, but like so he was gonna go to culinary school, but he decided mm -hmm. to just um he just cooks. Um, love you, bud. Uh, I'm super proud of him. Um, so anyway, it's hard, and I know, and he's very introverted. And I was like, hey, bud, it's, uh -huh. people yell at you. You know, it's not fun. Uh, look at, at uh, I'm not gonna say his name, but one of the famous chefs that's known for yelling at people but he is one of the kind he's a kind person and he cares that's why yeah, he's exactly. like that but um it's a hard industry uh so you talked about lots of places that you've lived and going back and forth across america which is so amazing to me because i've probably been in more countries ah. in europe than i have been states in the united states which is weird because oh, wow. my dad yeah, yeah. yeah my dad was in the military right so, exactly so I have been to so many different countries. Uh, shout out to those countries. Um, Czech Republic and uh, oh, France and uh, England yeah. and Italy and um, Germany, obviously. And Belgium. <laughs> shout out to Belgium. There's Belgium listeners in UK and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. And um, and there's a UK listener. Woohoo. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, but um, But... In the States, like, I think I've gone through places, especially when I was little and my dad was in the military, but I don't remember. But when people have actually lived in so many different places, that is amazing to me. Um, mm -hmm. So what had natural disasters have you seen or, like, what have you been through living in all these various places? So I have a unique distinction uh, by my... my uh, daughter and my first ex-wife and uh, and that family and friends of mine of being around during the same time that historic natural disasters happen my first was when i was six months old living in seward alaska with my family of course the 1964 earthquake hit wow. and then one of the largest tidal waves to ever, uh, and I think it was the largest tidal wave, tidal wave ever to strike America, one of the largest in history, happened in Seward, where a mountain literally collapsed into the ocean and then pushed that wall of water at almost 200 miles an hour towards Seward. So a close to 250-foot wave moving at 200 miles an hour had moved in and we only had minutes to get out of uh, you know out of Seward and to safety before our house was splintered and put uh literally half a mile away it tossed train cars uh you know half a mile up into the mountains there wow so after that uh i was in santa barbara Actually, I was in just below Santa Barbara in Ventura, living in Ventura, mm -hmm. and the largest wildfire outbreak in California's history at that time hit Santa Barbara and destroyed hundreds of thousands of acres. Wow. After that, uh, or actually before that, I was in Florida. We had two hurricanes come by when it had been almost 50 years, I think, uh, when I was down there, they were saying that uh, two hurricanes had come that close to the Tampa-St. Pete area, Hurricane Bob and Hurricane Elena. And at that same time, I was down there in Florida when the very first space shuttle had exploded. I was working at Tony Boy's restaurant where I ended up cooking my first yeah. time. 
the police station was right directly behind us. So all, all the, the police officers and detectives and, and workers would come in and have lunch there. Their radios started going off like crazy. And they said, something's wrong with the space shuttle. So we all went out into the street because you could see right directly across the, uh, you know, the state there, up in the sky, it looked like a firework. And those two solid rockets were just spinning out of control, screaming sideward, uh, uh, spiraling uh, up to the sky. And it was, there was probably two dozen of us out standing in the middle of that street, and it was eerily quiet. Because up until that point, up until that first space shuttle had had exploded, we thought we were conquering space. We thought that we were invincible. It turns out we weren't. And it really, really struck home that day. But then again, when I was cooking down in Saba off the 26 miles off the coast of St. Martin, we had uh, Hurricane Irma. A once in a hundred years hurricane to come in and strike Saba and St. Martin destroyed the, I got out only three days before that hurricane hit. Wow. Everybody told me, oh, don't worry. It, it never, it never hits. It always passes up by bang that year. It hit. Uh, I'm in you know, Oso, Washington. The, the side of a mountain collapses, mudslide kills like six people, takes, I mean, literally turn their cars, hit the cars half a mile to a mile away from where the mudslide started, mm -hmm. scream down the mountain, hit the cars so hard that they've never found any, uh, any bit of those cars or those human remains. Oh my God. I mean, destroyed, took out everything. Yes. And now in Idaho here, uh, I was just talking to a guy that is at the, uh, he heads up the, the Department of Forestry's um, uh, firefighting team, uh, wild, you know, wildfire team. And he was saying that uh, that we are now at historic levels. It's the, the rainiest and coldest uh, season for flooding, you know, for spring on record. So there's been a, a, a number of other little things, but that that kind of, you know, tells you. Oh my gosh. Uh, holy shnikes. So <laughs> um, that would scare me to not move around, but you are not scared. You're awesome. Um, apparently, I think like, again, just to... Um, mention myself because i'm selfish i'm just joking oh good no my <laughs> no i'm not if people if you knew me you'd be like no <laughs> so my mom so i was born in hawaii and right. a volcano erupted while we Ooh, were there i've lived in hawaii you've lived everywhere so, I, I have been around so briefly what states have you not lived in like how many out of the um like how many have you not lived in well, I've not lived in a, in a whole bunch of them. Okay, how many have you not stayed in uh, more than one or two? Not okay, how many have you not spent the night in? Uh, a lot of New England, right? Okay. Vermont. Uh, I always want to say Vetnor from Monopoly, but Vermont, <laughs> Connecticut, Delaware, Rhode Island, 
uh, Massachusetts. I've, okay. I've not been up there. Uh, okay. New York, yes. Uh, Philadelphia, yes. Um, I've only been through Michigan and Wisconsin, but I've never stayed there. Uh, I've stayed the night uh, in uh, South Dakota, but I have lived in Washington, Oregon, Alaska, Hawaii, California. I've lived in Tennessee, Florida, uh, a little bit in uh, um, in uh, Wyoming, uh, Colorado. You said Texas, Montana, Texas, mm -hmm. Louisiana. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> And I, I think that's, that's so all, cool. you know, did I put Hawaii in there? I think yeah. that, that uh -huh. that's all the um, states that I've actually, and, you know, Mexico and then in the Caribbean and Seba. So cool. Yeah. So, um, oh, wow. I love it. Um, so shout out to all those places. Whoop, whoop. Uh, <laughs> that, wonderful places. I, I mean, they're beautiful. Uh, I want to go so bad uh, to everywhere. I want to travel to every state. So, and uh, I drove. So working as a traveling chef, what I did is I would work seasonally or I would be hired to come in for a weekend and reshoot their their menu or train their chefs or, uh, uh, you know, any number of different things. So sometimes I would be someplace. Pardon me. I, sometimes I'd be someplace for a week. Someplace I would be someplace for a season. And sometimes I'd be a trainer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would head up a team. Or sometimes it was just me cooking for the people that that were you know staying at the resort, right? Mm -hmm. And and it, it by driving and staying at these places, spending a day or two here or a day or two there. It is the most amazing experience, and you realize how truly great America is. Everything that it has to offer, not just the scenery, but the people and the kindness and generosity that pours out of them. I've actually had people say, what? You're going to sleep in your van? No, no. We have an extra place. Just come to our house tonight. No. And I did. And then you sit and have uh, some good whiskey and then talk out on the porch. I, it, I mean, there's just something. I love it. Maybe it's not the life for everybody, but I truly, truly loved it. And it just shows you that spirit that, that our country has, that many other countries have. I mean, there's so many great things. Seba, some of the kindest people in the world were on, you know, in the Caribbean on Seba Island. And it's a different lifestyle down there. Loved yeah. it. Absolutely loved it. That's so awesome. Um, it gives you, um, and that's why, shameless plug, that's my favorite thing to say. Uh, gives you an authentic, you know, different points of view. That's why this is called this, authentic points of view. In every episode, um, people have asked me, so I always, you know, I'm like, hey guys, I have a podcast. And I used to be kind mm -hmm. of like, it's weird, because I'm extroverted, but introverted with new people. Right. And... Um, now I'm not because the whole purpose of me doing this podcast is to meet amazing people and to get different points of view. So I feel comfortable going up to people because I'm proud of this and this is my exactly. baby. And so, um, but I always like to point out that one person, you alone, have like 200 points of view because of the things that you have been through, gone through uh have Absolutely. seen so um now you've gone through all those things and i'm 
to we we're gonna talk about your podcast, but I just want to say I think it's beautiful that you have a relationship like that with your um, daughter's. Uh, so is it your first ex wife, correct? Yeah, and my, your daughter. That's awesome. So absolutely, go ahead. my my first ex wife is is my best friend, and my her family is my family, and I'll tell you. When we decided to get a divorce, that desire to make things change as little as possible for our daughter bled into us building an incredible friendship out of it. And, and of course, you know, that family is absolutely amazing. And uh, it, it, it's one of the greatest parts of my life. And it's one of the greatest things that, uh, that I can say is that my daughter belongs to that family unit. It has empowered her in ways that she never would have had access to had, wow. you know, Cindy and the Shrout family not been part of, of her life. That's um that's beautiful, and um I'm glad that you uh, mentioned her, and um that's important to um be cordial and for the for the child's sake, no matter how old they are. Um, and, and it's not just important, you know. It, it's part of a life philosophy that I like to live by, and that is leave no wreckage in my past, because. It's not just about the wreckage that you do to somebody else. That wreckage will come back and haunt you for decades. Mm -hmm. If you don't, if you don't take care to make sure that you're not making people's life better, then it will come back and, and destroy your life at, at times. And I've seen it in friends that never dealt with issues or that treated people poorly at one point in their life and never went back and rectified it. If you do that, you are now taking on a soulful pursuit that enlightens you in a way that you never would have experienced. And it's one of the reasons that I, yeah, you know, all of that experience is one of the reasons that I decided to start a podcast. Lord knows I like to talk. I spent <laughs> 30 years as, you know, as a, a club DJ, I, I worked at huge clubs. And then did, you know, did some radio work, uh, really always wanted to, to have a voice. And I didn't care if nobody listened. I just wanted to be able to get my thoughts down and say, this is what I think. It turned out to be uh, something that I truly love. And, you know, the reason I named it the Crash Cart Rule is because I wanted to, you know, a crash cart, you're a nurse, right? Yeah, right. And clear, bah, bring somebody back to life, jumpstart their heart. Well, the crash cart rule is all about jumpstarting jump your thought. I want to toss stuff up. You don't have to agree with me. Right. I just want to spark thought in, in you in that subject. And then hopefully that bleeds out into other subjects. And and if nothing else, at least you have something interesting to talk with the person next to you sitting at at the counter at the diner. Yeah. Well, thank you for mentioning that because that's what we were going to talk about next. So, <laughs> um, so I think that's freaking awesome how you came up with a name. Uh, that I love names of stuff, and that's why I was about to ask you why was it called that, and you and you told us. So, right. um, 
and that's so why I talk. Knows what a crash cart is, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, hope so. Uh, <laughs> it's got the defibrillator there. Yeah, it's got everything that's right. you need to bring somebody back to life. So I just figured, you know what? I want to jumpstart their thoughts. So it was a natural, a natural uh, role into, and I always have a process when I'm thinking yeah. or trying to come up with something. But the crash cart rule was just kind of a a, a natural extension. Because I have been told, and now I know that you won't agree with this, and I really don't, but that I can be a little, a little shocking, maybe a little, a little passionate about stuff. <laughs> so I wanted a name that kind of conveyed some of that. Um, that's very clever. I love clever things and things that mean mm -hmm. more than one thing. I do what I can. Uh, yes. Okay. So, how long have you been um, doing the crash cart rule? And um, how well is it doing and where can people listen to it? Uh, in, well, it took me, I thought I was just going to start a, start a podcast. That's really not what you do. It's a process. So I, I actually launched my first episode in late October, at the end of October of last year. So I've been doing it for nine or eight a little over eight months now and uh it is it's doing better than than i thought it would and now i have had uh, guests that are phenomenal my daughter uh was on the first few and she has Aww. a history degree and so that you know her research and all that really helped and my girlfriend uh dawn was on it and she she lent her voice but both of them have other lives. And so I was kind of, uh, uh, I was picked up by uh, TGRN.net, a radio station out of Austin, Texas. Awesome. And then I was picked up by a, um, by uh, KOZI 1230 AM uh, radio station. So I've got a regular program that is just my podcast on that every awesome. Saturday at 10 AM, right? in North Central, Washington, North Central Washington. So the podcast is actually doing much better than I thought. I had to make a pivot from having, you know, Sammy Girl and Dawn on it with me to now having guests and then having to do it in segments so it would fit on the radio. Well, that really restrained me. And it reminds me of Robin Williams when he did The World According to Garp. He said, you know, they, they put constraints on me that I really didn't even think I could live by. But it ended up helping me not only for Garp, but for uh, other movies in my life. Well, that, that constraint of having a set time, having to do segments, really allowed me to then get in and focus on each, you know, each segment with those guests. And now I've had doctors and, and, uh, oh my goodness, big real estate people, nurses and everyday people. I really try to focus. I, I, I don't try to focus on, on, you know, like doctors and, and successful people. I try to focus on real people that deal with these issues in their everyday life on a daily basis. And then what is their voice and how, how can I be the conduit to, to their story and to the subject matter? And we've talked everything from, you know, from, 
chupacabras to to you know did uh shakespeare know the future uh what's going on with the supply chain issues and the baby formula i just got done talking about the the uh, you know covid and the covid vaccines and how you know with a doctor on how you go about getting o over and and going with some natural treatments on long covid and what that means uh, my goodness i mean and i i mean i have people messaging me and calling me uh, about all sorts uh, all sorts of things and it, i'll tell you taking my life experience and using the crash cart rule podcast as a vehicle to channel all of that passion and energy and then sharing it with people as you know right Just doing this it really is what i call a soulful pursuit it fills my soul with joy uh, i've never read so much in all my life i mean and, and i'm a i'm a voracious reader but uh you know technical and statistical stuff i i really try to bring to the table stuff that people can use or say you know what uh, that's interesting and then uh you know let that jump start jump start their thought oh wow yay uh so what what advice do you have for somebody that actually wants to start a podcast like us um how can you advise them to get into it i would say this most people will start by saying i want to start a podcast and then start a podcast and then they get in and flounder because they have no pinpoint idea of who they are who their audience is and what their subject matter should be so take that and break that down to to a point where you think oh my goodness there's only four people on the planet that would be interested in this. Start there. You can always expand, but start so small and, and research. Don't just sit and talk. Give that person and talk directly to that person that is sitting there listening. Talk to them and deliver some sort of information they can use with every episode. And if you're talking about a single topic, then make that topic so interesting that somebody cannot stop listening. It's an old saying that a great orator can read the phone book and you will listen to him page after page. That's what you need to do with a podcast. If you want to start a podcast, teach yourself and don't give up. Take, take your, your vision and extend it out a year and ask yourself, where do I want to be in a year? If you're going to interview people, learn how to interview. If you're going to be a solo podcast, learn the art of telling that story. Where did you begin? How was that wind in your life blowing? And what direction did it blow you in? And along that way, what did you learn? When you can do that and translate that in a language that your listeners will understand, you've become a podcaster, whether you know it or not. So don't rush it, learn and take one thing and use that for the next two, three, four podcasts. Use that bit of information. This is how I'm going to deliver. 
this is what I want my my listener to be like. I want them to enjoy. This is what I want them to learn. This is what I want them to laugh about or to cry about. How do I become that storyteller? Just like Steven Spielberg tells amazing stories. Mm -hmm. That's all he is as a storyteller, but he does it phenomenally well. Right. And so my advice too, is that be you, be yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So, so many people say this all the time. They're like, you are the product you're selling yourself. Right. So, um, that's why, you know, this has helped me build up a lot of confidence and, mm-hmm. um, and being a comedian didn't, I mean, I would think that. Oh, that no. <laughs> confidence. Yeah, Lee. Okay. Um, so let's, let's just say, uh, this is how <laughs> being a comedian feels. Um, and I don't think we've cussed, which is first time for everything. Uh, <laughs> my podcast, you know, I, you I don't just, very good. No. So, so uh, my joke has a cuss word in it. That's why I just said that. So <laughs> this is how uh, comedy makes me feel. Um, so it makes me feel like I'm going to uh, throw up, mm. crap myself. <laughs> I'll change the word and yeah. pass out. Oh, good. Um, yeah. So, uh, um, you know, I, I've been um, doing comedy lately without drinking first. I used to have to wow. drink because, and I never drank. Like, I literally oh. started drinking when I started doing comedy. And I was like, oh that's not good. So I would get so anxious that I had to be not inebriated because then I couldn't speak because I have a very low tolerance, but have some kind of liquid courage in me. So mm-hmm. now the first, the last few shows that I've done, except for one, uh, cause it was on a bigger stage. I have not drank anything. It's just been me. And so that has built my confidence because it's genuinely me and right. how people are responding to me makes me feel good. Um, it's hard though, because right. it's like one of the hardest things you can do, right? And so that's why when you said crazy earlier, yeah, no, I have to be a little bit crazy. All of us <laughs> do to stand up there and be like, hey guys, laugh at me. I'm going to try to entertain you. And then sometimes people just stare at you like crickets, like, beep, beep, beep. and you're exactly. like, okay. Uh, <laughs> so you know, the I'll thing, go ahead. Oh, I'll say it. So, I spent, you know, 30 years on the mic doing, you know, doing club work. I have emceed everything from Easter Seal telethons with Charlie Chase down in, in, uh, you know, uh, Tennessee to uh, comedy shows. Ah. And one year we had the radio station get together with us and they said, Hey, we're doing this big comedy contest with the local comedy club, Mm -hmm. but we're going to do it at your, at your club. So, uh, we need you to do a, uh, um, like just a a little two minute bit, you know, comedy bit Mm -hmm. for the opening of the show. And then you can, then you'll just introduce the, the, uh, acts and MC it from there. Hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, it, just the anxiety, uh, you know, at first, oh yeah, I can do that. Absolutely. No, it's, it, it, it is so much more difficult than anyone realizes. Mm-hmm. And then 
when you finally get up there and you realize I'm not a comedian. <laughs> and, and, and yeah. you know, you say stuff that you thought was going to be funny and you try to wing it. That's the worst. Uh -huh. Winging it is there's, yep. it is a death nail in your con in your coffin. Uh, I, it turned out being absolutely horrible at it. And the worst part was there was a, a group of people that was probably, uh, you know, 15 feet away, right? At the very, very front of the stage. And they felt so sorry for me that they would give me that gratuitous laugh that was so awkward <laughs> that I just felt like dying. Yeah. That was well, my let's just say that doesn't mean that you're bad at it. You just need more practice. But um, so, uh, yeah. So with podcasting, just to reiterate, um, people think, oh, I'm good at talking. That means I'm going to be good at it. So right. researching is correct. It Being, is. Um, knowing what you want to do, what audience you want to touch. Mm -hmm. They asked me, who's your target audience? I said, everybody. And they're yeah. like, oh, so because that's what my my whole thing is about is helping people as being caring as being inspirational, but that might not be your thing. So um, find what you're passionate about, and then you will rock it, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and so, um, where can people find you? Do you have a website? Do you have uh, or anything uh, you can like go that? to thecrashcartrule.com. And I've got all my shows there. And then I'm on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast, oh, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, uh, Overcast. Uh, there's like 24 directories. Yeah, uh, um, tune in. Uh, I think you can ask Alexa. Uh, hey, Alexa. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> to play <laughs> the Crash Cart Rule podcast. That's so funny. Yeah, I, I'm literally all over the place. And then uh, uh, I'm right now I'm being banned on Facebook. Uh, for, I, and I've asked them, why am I being banned? And nobody's gotten back to me. But uh, oh. so that, that has, uh, uh, I, I've moved over to other platforms. And uh, it seems like, you know, I've just gotten some traction now. And it took a number of months to get that, you, you know, really get uh -huh. that ball rolling. But over the past few months, it's really taken off so well. So you can, to answer your question, you can find me just about anywhere. You can also go to the crashcartrule.com and, and, uh, and, and then leave me a message. Just say, hey, you know, I, hey. I heard you on Danielle's show. Uh, I listened to one of your shows. Or, you know, of course, we always like to say, you know, follow, rate, and review, and share. So yep. it really helps, especially us little guys out as we grow our podcasts. Right. And I wouldn't call you a little guy um, as so much as me. But um, again, I'm so grateful that you came on and that you reached out to me. Um, I think that you are amazing. And I didn't know you have been through all this stuff. And I'm so proud of you that you got through all this and you have a great support um, you know, a supportive family as your ex-wife's family and stuff, and that you are happy and you're doing what you want to do and you're, um, helping people. And just by talking about really great topics that some people are scared exactly. to talk about. Um, so, um, 
we will talk again and um thank you so much sergey this has been amazing uh, oh it's I've, been my pleasure absolutely i've learned so much um oh, good and i love that we have so much in common uh I know, by the right? way and you mentioned easter seals i'm gonna wrap this up but you missed mentioned easter seals mm -hmm. uh my son uh second son i have lots of sons um actually was going to easter seals for years and um they really helped him a great deal for oh two wow or three years. oh wonderful so that means a lot to me too so thank you for doing that um but we will speak again so until next time sergey thank you so much and i can't wait to be a guest on your podcast i can't wait to have you i think it's gonna be great yay bye bye all right everybody so thank you so much for listening this episode has been kick butt great. I can't believe all of the topics that we touched upon. And that's what I love about this. Um, if I don't know the person, I give them some questions of things I think of, and then organically other things come up, which is amazing. Uh, every episode, I always like to point out what I have in common with people. So you guys heard that, um, you know, Sergey and I have both been homeless in different ways, but we both have. That's something very rare to have in common with someone, um, hopefully, because, you know, nobody wants to have gone through that. But it helps us grow. It helped me grow as well. And I've changed a lot from the time that I was um, homeless. I made some of the same mistakes, too, uh, from the time I was homeless as well. But it taught me a lot about life. Um, so everything happens for a reason, guys. Uh, follow his podcast, subscribe, whatever. I don't know. You know, I'm learning everything. Download, like it, share, comment, all the things. Um, stream it, all the things, guys. Uh, it's really cool. I've listened to a couple of episodes. He has like a lot. So I haven't got to listen to too many. I mean, I'm honest. So I've listened to a few. And one of them, I didn't even like know it was that much of a thing which is really crazy because it's a big thing is about the meta universe thing and it was a great episode so awesome and i even mentioned it at work and everybody's like oh yeah like it's so it's such a thing i was like ah, i'm behind so guys the point is there's a lot of great information on there um and if you have an opinion and you want to talk to him about something email him and maybe you can go on there too uh so y'all if you like this podcast all sector points of view please please tell somebody tell your mama tell your cousin tell your friend i don't know tell your friend of me just joking hopefully you don't have friend of me but tell somebody tell your co-worker uh because this is all about love and helping someone and i hope something you heard today helps you in some kind of way um if you're going through those things and you can see like how he got through it and how he was so positive maybe that can help you change your outlook and maybe your perspective and your point of view on the struggles you're going through because we can only control how we react we can't control what's happening sometimes but we can control what we do as a response to it um word of mouth y'all tell somebody please um and um I thank all of you for listening. All of you that have been loyal listeners from the beginning mean the world to me. And I mean that. Um, again, if you want to be on this podcast or you just want to say something to me, email me, y'all. Reach out to me. 
Uh, if you guys have anything that you want to hear about, or if you want to um, be a guest, like I said, uh, if you have a topic that you want me to interview somebody about, please let me know. Um, I would like to talk to everybody. Uh, so just mention it. If you know somebody that would be a great guest, if you don't want to do it, let me know. Uh, if you have a comment, if you have heard a guest and you want to say something to them, let me know. I can tell them. Um, these guests want to know how they've touched people too, guys. They want to know what it means to you, uh, what you've learned from them. That would be amazing. That would make them feel really good. Um, follow me on social media. Come on, guys, because I got more listeners than I do have followers. <laughs> Authentic Points of View podcast on Facebook and on, <laughs> I can't think of the word, Instagram. I know it's Instagram. I'm so old, guys. No, I'm just joking. I'm not that old. Uh, so, all right, everybody, I love you guys. I thank you so much for listening, for being amazing. Be kind. If you learn anything from any of the episodes, be positive, be kind. Thank you so much. I will talk to you guys next week. All right. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to Authentic Points of View podcast. I hope that something you heard today changes your point of view. If you would like to share your views, please email me at authenticpointsofview at gmail.com or leave a comment on Facebook at Authentic Points of View Podcast. Remember, always be mindful of other people's journeys and have open ears and an open heart.